In this episode, I am joined by two expert campaign creators as we talk about how to take those first steps into your own campaign setting. And I share with you how we are planning on playing when we have a player or more down. Welcome to the Mithras Matters podcast, season one, episode 41, creating campaigns and continuing to play. And welcome to Mithras Matters, a podcast dedicated to the Mithras rule set and all its supplements. As always, I am your host, Inwills, and welcome to October. I hope you enjoyed last month's episode when our playing group talked about starting new players to the Mithras rule set. The plan is to do more of these chats with multiple people being involved, almost like a roundtable discussion. And don't worry, I will try and take a more silent role in them, since you must be getting very tired of my voice blabbling on about things. If you watch our actual play videos on YouTube or live on Twitch, you will be aware that we have gone from a group of four to a group of five, four players and myself. Our new player is settling in well and it is nice for me to actually focus mainly on GMing rather than trying to play another character as well. However, with more players there always comes the scheduling issues that we need to overcome. With everyone having different lives and our game actually stretching over two time zones, things can get difficult. Now, we always say that family, work and personal well-being, for example, health, always comes first. As a group, we made the decision quite a while ago that we would not play when one person was absent. We did try continuing with one player down, but we found that it became difficult to recognise what has been said to who. And if we finished the session in the middle of storming an evil lord's castle, it seems strange that the character that was absent the week before suddenly returned from visiting their grandma or whatever excuse we had created and was actually down in the dungeon with the characters once again, as if nothing had happened. We stream our games live on Twitch, and I wanted to have a standby game that we could just pop into and play when we didn't have a full group. It was actually Medivac's idea that I thought was great. We discussed a range of ideas and thought we might have have to actually play D&D 5th edition on these sessions when we weren't all around. However, luckily we found another option that we're all looking forward to playing. Anyway, enough of me waffling on. I'll let you know about the game we have chosen after the main segment of this month's podcast. 
If you are a GM or if you are thinking about taking up the GM mantle, then one of the first jobs you have to tackle is to create or develop your own campaign world. This can be very daunting, so we thought why not get two expert campaign creators onto the podcast to share how they approach the process. Now, apologies for Matt's next door neighbour dog barking while we were chatting. I did try to remove it, but couldn't isolate the sound. So just think of it as added atmosphere. So without further ado, I'll let the experts introduce themselves. Uh, Hi, I'm Matt Eager. Matt E on the Discord, and um, I'm I run Old Bones Publishing, and so we publish uh, Mithras supplements and adventures, um, not actual campaign source books yet, but I guess we'll touch on that uh, today during our talk. Thanks Brilliant. for having me. Brilliant, and off you go, Doug. Who are you? Yeah, I am Doug Nordwall, otherwise known as Raleel on the Discord. Uh, I have been heavy into the Mithras community now, I suppose, for pushing on a decade at this point. Wow, <laughs> that, that's a lot longer than me altogether. So we're, we're here today to talk about generating or starting off a, a campaign. And what I'm really interested in is to know about how you approach that as game masters when you're creating a setting. Where do you start with it? Do you sort of like look at the big picture or small picture to start off with? And what, what are your starting points? And hopefully, people listening in will be able to think oh that's a good workflow to adopt so so matt let's start with you where if you've got a a new setting or new campaign to create whereabouts do you start from um so i warn you right now uh maybe maybe doug can uh provide some contrast I, i don't know he'll he'll do what he wants to do but um i'm like a minimalist in terms of campaign uh, creation. And I, you know, I find myself always kind of warning people or, or, or suggesting to people on the discord that, you know, don't go nuts. Don't do too much because, you know, 75% of this is never going to come out in play. Um, But, you know, if it's what gives you joy and that's part of what you like about being a GM and doing RPGs, okay, fine, go for it. All I'm trying to do is to to give you um, my opinion uh, based on decades of experience to uh, to try to encourage you to maybe identify and focus on the things that are really actually going to matter in real life and not get trapped into white room thinking. Uh, sometimes you read someone's ideas and they're pretty cool. But, you know, when you get to the 10th page of backstory on why this generation of elves or wonderlings or whatever, you know, all decided that they had to wear purple instead of green. I mean, come on, right? <laughs> I see. So a very minimalistic approach. How much would you do? Would you sort of like detail the first town or the hamlet or where would your starting point be? Right. Um I I like to write characters most of all, I think. So I usually start on the very personal, small, intimate human level or elf or whatever. Yeah. Uh, and then, you know, so 
character is interesting in their own right, but then there should be a situation that, you know, the character is confronted with, right? This is where the drama comes from and it's where yeah. the plot comes from. So, so now we're talking about a character in a situation and that sounds like an adventure, right? Or at least yeah. a scene in an adventure. That's usually where I start. Something, something compelling pops into my mind for whatever reason, the muse speaks. And that's usually where I begin. Brilliant. Well, I, yeah, I, I usually do. I usually do something. I would say kind of similar to that, but I, I, I'm, I start with the conflict. Like what, what is, what is ultimately the conflict that is going to be coming out of this? And this kind of works across the whole scale of things. So I did, I did a, I did a classic fantasy game where the conflict was war, right? Like yeah. there was, there was war happening, and so it, and it was war within a region. So you have to define what that region is going to look like. Yeah. Um, but if you're, if you're doing something like a Monster Island campaign. Then you're talking about a sandbox. The conflicts are are tend to be more more episodic and contained from week to week, right? So, so you're defining it on a, on a little bit smaller scale, um, and then and then from from there, it it's when when we start getting into like the details of of what do the cultures look like and what does the flora and fauna look like and and that sort of thing. That's sort of like more like okay what is the what is the window dressing of this going to be like so so give you an example with my my mm. classic fantasy game originally i was thinking it was going to be pretty stock you know medieval european style fantasy and then i thought you know that is boring just boring <laughs> um and 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 I was like, I'm looking for something else. And then one of my players provided a convenient shim for that, where he said that he wanted to be a paladin of Ganesha. And I was like, well, that's perfect. Well, let's mm. do that. Let's let's like this whole thing is going to have a very different feel for it now. Uh, and and that really carried the campaign. And it looked a lot different than it would have been if it had been done, you know, medieval European mm. style. So you mentioned there, Doug, about um, the players becoming involved. Is that something that you both like um, players to be involved in the creation, almost like co-create the campaign world? What, what's your feelings about the, that? I certainly like them to inject their opinions into the thing. Um, I, I don't know that I necessarily want them to create huge portions of it, um, but I do I do like them to build the, build up something on there because, I mean, frankly, it always helps to have somebody else build bricks with you, right? Agreed. Um, yeah. And I and I do I do really do like the world build. You know, I I'm with Matt that you know seventy five percent of this is not going to see the light of day. If you you know, but if you enjoy it, do it. I mean, it's it is fun. I mean, I, I do that all the time. Yeah. What about you, Matt? Co-creation with with your players or not? Um, I uh, I feel I like that idea very much, um, and I think it helps to alleviate or avoid like boredom or or disengagement. It promotes engagement. Um, I would say, I feel the same way that Doug does. I think, but I would say it a little differently. Um, again, if you're starting down at the level of characters, people should play the characters that they want to play. You know what I mean? Mm. And so if your if your response to that is, well, that's not what I had in mind for this campaign. That doesn't fit well, right? Yeah. Well, in the very beginning, that's your chance to, you know, adjust things, tailor things, and make sure that 
the people that you're going to be gaming with are, you know, basically satisfied with the the general trajectory of things, you know, they're not going to be stuck off in an uninteresting corner or have to fight against mm. the overall idea. Now, it may be true that sometimes, you know, there are just irreconcilable differences, in which case, you know, go away, friends, and, you know, play two different games. But yeah. probably everyone can be grown-ups and work on that. Mm. Yeah, yeah ab ab absolutely. I mean, that's... That this this is also the time when you you get to sort of communicate expectations between you and the players back and forth. I mean, this is I won't call it a, exactly a session zero, but it but it could easily yeah. be a part of that session zero, right? Yeah, it, it's it's it, it kind of like let's communicate the tone of what this is going to be. If you if you've got somebody who says, you know, I I want to, I want to play a thin you know fair skinned guy with a giant blade. Um, with an anime haircut, that's going to mean something very different to, you know, what the campaign is going to, going to yeah. be about. Right. Um, something else that Doug said, um, I think bears extra attention. Mm. In the beginning, he was talking about, you know, designing a region and he used the word sandbox itself. In the beginning, you need to decide whether you're going to, you know, run a sandbox type game and this is going to depend on the particular players that you've assembled yeah. to, you know, some people are very comfortable or expect or would be shocked if they didn't have the ability to say, all right, show me a map and I'll tell you where my players want to go and what they want to do. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. But there are, there are other groups, my, my home group, really, uh, we play sporadically now, but we still play sometimes. I think that if I threw them in like that, they would be, rather surprised i think that they they prefer to you know have a sense of you know some kind of story arc and to have a little more served mm. up to them so if you if you have in mind like a tv style story arc where you're going to sit down and something's going to be presented to you yeah. and then it's going to be improv television so to speak but you still have script writers that are doing right a little right right. right so that's something you have to establish in the beginning too should this be a straight up sandbox should it be straight up episodic, not a railroad, but what's sometimes called the bus stop model, which is there's kind of like a beginning in mind and an ending in mind, but there's all kinds of variability in the beginning. That's the kind of approach that I tend to take, especially because, you know, ultimately I'm publishing adventures, right? Yeah, right, right. So I, I want to, I want to give enough structure for the GM to feel like they have a handle on what's going to happen or that if something weird happens they still have 90 percent of the outcomes covered right and so mm. they don't feel like a fish out of water but yet at the same time you know the players shouldn't feel like you know they're just reading lines that's that's bad yeah that that yeah that, that doesn't really fly either i mean and you know now you know you got a full spectrum of stuff that comes out of this right like so you could go on full on west marches which stereotypically is very player driven the players say i want to go to this place do we have a gm available who is available to do this to do this thing and that's mm. that's highly player driven um versus you know the gm sits down and says i want to run this sort of game you know i want to run something that's based on ale saga you know in the, in the icelandic sagas and that has a structure to it right like mm. that's a that's an important thing um i think that's as as important as trying to get the setting point or or any of the conflicts set up first yeah. Um, does 
we have an international audience listening listening to this and um you both mentioned this idea of a sandbox could one of you just explain what that is so people will know what we're referring to um go ahead matt you want to do it or i could do it i mean it's let me let me say something brief first and then you correct me (laughs) (laughs) um from and again uh i don't prefer and i don't write sandboxes uh so from my point of view a sandbox is an extremely um player driven uh uh kind of game as opposed to gm driven um where the the gm will set up a bunch of stuff and if you could imagine if you could imagine doing like an old school wilderness hex crawl you know Mm. you have your map every every hex has a, a secret page of description and monsters and treasures or whatever you're going to list for it and then the players say i want to go here what happens if we go here and then the gm you know bases uh an adventure or at least you know several scenes according to that yeah um and which of course leapfrogs and will affect what happens next so sandbox means you know you just set something up in the backyard with a bunch of toys in a fairly well-defined space that's safe for the kids to play in and then you let the kids go nuts and you only every now and then supervise and stick your thumb on (laughs) when you need to yeah nice analogy doug do you want to add anything to that or yeah, I yeah, I mean, and I I think I agree that it is largely player driven. Although although it does tend to have you know some structure for them to hang on to, right? Like you, you need to give them enough for to be curious about where to go with it, right? It is, it is a very curiosity driven thing. So you right. you set up some environments, some ecology, some adventure seeds that are in there. Um, most uh, most video games that we play nowadays they have you know the quest quest question mark or something over an npc that says i have this thing that i want you to go do go and do it for me and that's very sandboxy sort of play there's no order that has to be pulled out of that right Mm. um if we if you know to put it in the modern context with the video games you know the the campaign is the main arc the main quest arc that comes out of it you know there's a there's a particular way that's supposed to go and then all the side quests end up being the sandbox part of the campaign right Mm. um and so video video games i think do that pretty well yeah i i agree i think that compared to when we were uh growing up so to speak with old school role-playing games oh i I was i was only growing up all of 10 years ago i'm sure yes (laughs) i'm sure right yes (laughs) Yeah, um, we're all gentlemen of a certain age here. Yeah. <laughs> I think that we can dispense with the humor. <laughs> um, compared compared to the stuff that was served up by TSR back in the mm. day, right? I think a lot of what goes on now can be informed well by video game design, probably. Yeah. Things should be flexible and robust enough that your storyline doesn't break if players choose to do this or that you know there is there's some stuff that's ready to go and more importantly there's enough perhaps unstated stuff that is on the gm's Mm. uh behind the scenes that the gm can you know react quickly you know uh just in time uh programming or game sure 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 sure. yeah oh yeah 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 i mean like like you know it for you could you could start easily start a campaign 
in either one of these sort of camps, right? Like, and and most often mine end up sort of being in both camps because, uh, you know, my players will, will get will, will get a wild hair and decide to go off and do something, and suddenly that's a sandbox, right? Like right. I have to come up with something on the fly, or or perhaps I have some adventure seed that I can pull off, um, or or there's a plot line and I don't have anything really planned for that, so. I'll throw in something that's a little bit more sandboxy, or you could do a sandbox campaign where you have all of these little bits and then you start putting in plot points along the way and suddenly you have a campaign and that might look something more like uh, uh, Star Trek The Next Generation where, mm -hmm. you know, you have the, all these episodic things and then all of a sudden there's an overarching arc that starts threading through mo many of the episodes, not all of them by any means. Um, but but you kind of get a sense of continuity yeah. that happens there. Right. I um, the example that I usually bring up in terms of of uh, television film is Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Although, yeah, yeah. All right. Full disclosure: Joss Whedon is canceled. Straight up, fine. Okay. <laughs> sure. Looking looking at it as a as a piece of art, you know, without knowing any of that, um, sure. it is extremely instructive. It to combine story arc with episodic pieces, mm. uh, you could you can learn a lot by uh, by watching a season of Buffy. I think. Yeah, well, one one of the things that you both and this would be very helpful for me as a GM because you both sort of like mentioned or alluded to this idea of seventy five percent of the won't never be seen, but I I don't know when to stop. Yeah, and I when I'm creating an, a campaign, I'm always thinking, so what if the player asks this or the player yeah. asks this? And then I'm almost like reluctant to start the campaign until I've almost like tied off every piece of string that relates to a story. What what advice would you give to to me or other people like me? Uh <laughs> Uh, to, to, you know, in full disclosure, that happens to me all the time, uh, and 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 still can happen. I've been I've been running campaigns for a very long time at this point, and I still have some problems with it. Um, but things I think that help. Um, one, I I do like random tables for stuff mm -hmm. because they allow you to fill in things, you know, at, on the fly, and you know, and and it allows me to uh overcome some analysis paralysis that I, that i have with that <laughs> and uh so so i i might start with there and the and the other thing is that you have to remember that you you need to leave some slack in the campaign because you're dealing with other humans and they're going to take something off differently and you can't possibly predict all that they're going to do because yeah. there are other there are other humans and you don't have full insight to what they're thinking mm. right well said that's good um I, I completely agree with both of you in the sense that it is very easy. I think I would go so far as to say probably a lot of people who enjoy GMing role-playing games are exactly the sort who would find it extremely easy to go down the rabbit hole. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and oh, yeah. Again, if it brings you joy, that's fine. But just you need you ought to realize what you're doing before you do it. So that's why I'm always the negative Nelly who feels compelled to say, yes, but, you know, don't do it. Uh, 
I, not because it's a bad thing to do or anything else, but I, I guess maybe because I'm a gentleman of a certain age, what I realize is, um, you know, I don't, I only have so much time in a day or a week or a month to work on this. And I should, I should be, you know, I am a completionist. Um, I, I try to be thoughtful in what I do. And therefore, it is really easy to go off on tangents sometimes instead of working on the stuff that I really do think is more important. And I kind of have half baked up here, mm. but I really should be putting that down on paper instead. Um, there's another there's another um, issue, too, and that is at some level, it's the power of memory and maybe even not only the power of your own memory, but the power of the memory of the GM who you don't even know who you're writing an adventure or sure. a source book for. And, you know, if if you've got 50 pages of material and, you know, all right, fine, PDFs are searchable. This is, mm. you know, the modern world and everything. But still, you know, if you just see page after page after page of this stuff and it's not carefully enough annotated and it's got a lot of detail and maybe seemingly random stuff in there, you know, your eyes glaze over and you tend not to internalize any of it. So I'm, I'm, although I do love my weird little details, I can give you examples until tomorrow. We, um, we all do. I think it's right. I, I, I want to present to people things that are arranged in a way that makes sense and in a way that allows them to focus their attention on the important stuff, you know, the stuff that's definitely going to come up. Right. Mm. And the details are nice, but put them in little sidebars, keep it brief and just include it for flavor and make sure they realize it for flavor that I'm, I'm going through this right now with the adventure that is sprawling into a miniature setting or whatever that I'm right, writing right. now about this, about this, uh, you know, coastal city called Gitragam, right? And so, you know, Gitrins love poetry, for example, and all Gitrins tend to have nicknames and stuff like that. So this is all the kind of, you know, like yeah. stuff that comes out and I'm trying to keep it to gray sidebars and stuff, but mm. I do throw it in there for the GM to use when, you know, you're making, you're rolling up characters. Cause so I think, I think a point to bring there is that that, that stuff, that stuff is, is very useful, but it it's, you may not use it, but you may have having something there uh, when the player, when the time comes, when, when the mood is right at the game table, right? Like right. the GMs and the players are in the right spot, that, that, that little bit of flavor, that spice, really does accentuate the game but you got to remember that it's it's spice right like you're not mm. going to stop mate you're not going to stop making the meal just because you don't have salt because you're hungry right yeah like, it's the secret you, sauce it's not the meal yeah right 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 and 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 i think that's a thing that when you're when you're doing your games or or you know pretty much anybody's doing their games is to remember that there there is the part that you're going to be presenting on a day on you know when you're at the game that's going to be the plot that's going to be the the fun of it and then there's going to be the spice and you don't have to have every answer question answered there right mm. i think you just don't i mean look at monster island it leaves more questions than answers right 
That's perfect in my opinion. Anytime I write something, I want it to, uh, for the customer, I want it to provide more questions than answers. Sure. And that's fine. It should stimulate the GM. It should stimulate the players. And part of the fun of RPGs is the improv, right? Mm. I mean, you don't want to feel like, again, you're thrown in, but at the same time, you know, I don't want you trying to find the answer to this question on page 91. I want you to have enough of a feel of a fluency for the setting that you're soaking in that you can just say, Oh, uh, get your, you want to keep soaking, right? Like you don't want to get, you don't want, you want to keep soaking in the setting, not getting up to go and deal with the front door. Right. Like it's, it's, Mm. yeah. Do do you think, experience and confidence um, really plays a part in how much you actually write down and how much you actually decide before that gaming session starts is it to do about how confident you are as gms i i i think i think that's some of it but i think i think for me and i don't know that this applies to everybody but i i spend a lot of time thinking about how i am as a gm like I do a lot of self-reflection and analysis on that. And I go back and I do a post game with, with, with my folks and figure out what went right and wrong. And of course now, you know, it's, it's a lot faster in my, you know, I start to understand what has happened and have under understanding of the flow of that. Um, but, but it, I mean, it's, it's, I spent, you know, I spend time on it, right? Like mm-hmm. I, I spend serious time, not just on the campaign, but on my actual GM skills. Um, uh, you know, although I, I must admit, I've never watched a single episode of Critical Role and I hear Matt Mercer is absolutely amazing, but uh, I haven't watched a single one of those. So. I can say I haven't either. So, <laughs> Matt, have you watched any Critical Role? Um, good question. <laughs> I think that back when somebody first turned me on to it, I probably watched a half an episode and, um, uh, I did watch the animated series that they based on it. That was, that was amusing. But in my opinion, it went to point out a lot of the, a lot of the weirdness of that style of play. But anyway, um, going aside, I'm impressed. I'm impressed by Doug's uh, dedication, dedication to the art. Um, I'm much more of a a half-assed game master. (laughs) Um, I'm, I think I am an okay game master. I think that I have a really good grasp of the rules and I have a, and because of that, I have the ability to keep things flowing and not stalling. I'm, I'm an okay actor in terms of characterization because I like characters, not because I'm, I'm good at the acting Mm -hmm. part. I'm not good at improv, but I do I do spend a lot of time, again, from the point of view of a character, thinking about how a character would behave or what a character would do in a certain situation. So, sorry, my neighbor's dog is barking. (laughs) Uh, Because I spend time thinking in character, I guess some people might call that method acting or whatever. Um, uh, I, I call that not improv, but preparation. Yeah. So uh, sure. I avoid improv by doing that. But um, sure. Because because I do this and because I have created the setting, I usually have a lot more half-formed or formless ideas that are contributing to what I'm doing in my head as GM. Oh, yeah. 
and that's the kind of stuff that would not necessarily be written down. I agree. Now, when I'm writing something for sale to present to someone else who's going to GM what are basically my ideas, um, I have to kind of be judicious and remember, oh, I never actually wrote that. Or, oh, I have this in mind, but you know what? I really don't want to dedicate a paragraph to it. I would rather just leave that there for the other person to figure out and to make it their game. And that's ultimately what we always do. It's yeah. always it's always going to be tailored at that level. There are going to be stuff that people make up because they forget or they think it's not written down, even if it is on page 91. Yeah. They're going to make stuff up at the edges, at least, even if the core is intact. And that's all right. That's good. That's the way things should be, in my opinion. Do, do you both um, feel if you know what the what characters the players are going to be playing in your campaign, does that um, direct you to um, provide more information about certain areas? Um, for example, if you know that one of the players really wants to play a mystic in your campaign, would that... Um, encourage you to develop that side of the campaign or does that not matter oh it absolutely matters absolutely um for, for for me i like i i i look at i look at the characters as the the pillar of the campaign right like and and i need to know the what the what those pillars are and where they are and and how strong they're right like you know you have players that do different things and they're going to respond to different things and so understanding what they're react how they're reacting to things really really helps build that campaign a lot mm. yeah i think that um if you're gonna the uh let's put it a slightly different way and Actually, Doug is sounding a lot like me in this case. I think the characters are the lens through which this campaign is going to be viewed, sure. right? Yep. yep. I'm sorry. The things that happen to them and the decisions that the players make about them and the places they go and the things they do, that's, that is, in a sense, what the campaign is and how the world is reflected. Mm. You're going to go and read a transcript of it afterwards, which you can yeah. do you play online <laughs> yeah well, yeah i mean i mean think you know if you think about it you know you're you're doing this role-playing game it's very much very much like writing a book in real time right i mean yeah, and yeah. the the stuff that's happening outside of the scope of the players that generally gets pulled off into a separate chapter and that's you know you might think of that as the gm narration right or yeah. or perhaps those people become protagonists if you're a very ambitious gm and are running the same campaign world at the same time with multiple groups or something like that but though those those characters are the people that are in the book and then you can only really see them from their perspective otherwise you are doing just world building right like it's it would just end up being you're building the world and you have this third person god perspective of it yeah very, very much so and uh, on that theme still when do constraints come into the campaign and i'll give you an example so i run a human mithras campaign and there was no option for players to play dwarves or halflings or anything like that. I established that right at the beginning and mm -hmm. said, you need to be human. And that's only because of my, my experience of 5e when there's 
there's pigeons walking around or, you know, um, minotaurs or things like that. When, when do you start to engage with those constraints or do you just leave it completely open in your campaigns? I, I'm like you, I establish those things up front. That is, that is the level at which I um, draw the line, so to speak. You know, I don't want, I don't want to have to deal with dwarves. I don't want to have to deal with half. Everyone's going to be human. Uh, and if you're down with that, fine, let's continue. And if you're not down with that, uh, maybe you're not going to be happy and we should not go down. Mm. Yeah, I, I, I put my constraints in, in early as well. I mean, usually that, that ends up being a sort of session zero activity. Um, and, I, you know, on, on that notion of having dwarves and elves and whatnot, um, I, I think the, the, the thing that it really, that those really say is that your differences have to be visible. And and if you're playing like an all human campaign, your differences may not necessarily be visible, right? Like you have to have some sort Perfect. of distinction. Yeah. Or or you know, I was I was thinking about this for for my group because I was going to present to them uh, a monster island savages only game, right? Like it was mm. all going to be everybody's lizard men, right? And so so now you like you're all lizard men, and you are all of the same gender because they, they have strongly gender divided roles and this campaign was going to be about hunters, right? Yeah. And and so so they don't have these convenient shims for them to be saying, my character has a niche because of this. Now you then you have to start defining yourself in some other way. You have to start defining yourself in a role. Well, they're all hunters, so they're all gonna be the same role. So that makes that even harder. Yeah. Um, so now you have to define that by passions and personalities right. and secondary skills. And that's where you start to really get depth into the character, right? Like that's, you know, you're not just the elf, the dwarf, because yeah, those you're not leaning on a stereotype at that point. You avoid right? stereotyping. Yeah. That's yeah, what I'm yeah. Um, yeah. So, so I would like to, um, I would like to characterize this in terms of the short version. So there's the elevator pitch that you give for your campaign, right? Mm -hmm. This is going to be a sword and sorcery campaign about humans in a Robert E. Howard type world, right? Sure. If I say that to you, you should instantly have some genre shorthand, as I call it, mm. that will support your thinking about this game. And you should probably instantly be able to say, oh, I do or do not want to play in that, right? Like, you know, you're not going to pick up something randomly from the from the cereal aisle if you're really looking for tortilla chips, right? Mm. That kind, no, that, and you, you might have to explain what that sword and sorcery genre is, right? Like you, you might. might have to, like I, I remember might. a game that we were in a long time ago where somebody wanted to play an elf or something like that in the thing. I was like, I'll, you don't really fit in this campaign. That's that's not a genre conceit, right? Like that's that's right. outside of the scope. Uh, but, I go yeah. ahead. I have a long thought. So okay, the so there's that short version of your campaign, and that's going to be sort of the level at which you decide definitely yes or definitely no, right? And then after that, it's it's interfacing, it's making things mm -hmm. work between what everybody wants. And then there's also the the short version of your character concept. You know, I I like to think of you know there's like a one-line character concept and then there is the character concept that fits on a uh you know a quarter page right yeah 
half of a half of a column in a two column layout right because yeah. that's the way i think and then there's all the other stuff that will come out in play as a consequence of both role playing and game mechanics yeah. that are tied to it like passions and stuff right mm. so Very that's so that's the way i would say it now doug has a long thought, uh, long thought. i do i do so 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 Thank you. Thinking about this notion of engaging with with your restrictions on your campaign, I, I might think that the things that you that we normally talk about with with campaigns are 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 the are the lines in the art the, of the painting that you're picturing, right? Are that you're painting, but the restrictions are the shadows. The sh the restrictions are the thing that gives it depth and that nice. that, yeah. that perception that illusion of depth that you, that you might see there, right? Um, it, then the, ne the negative space defines this as much as the positive space and sometimes more than the positive space. So mm -hmm. if I have, if I have a care, you know, if, if we have a, if I have a player who says, I want to do this, right? Like, let me, let me you know, I'll use a, a, something from my own campaign. I have a guy who really, who wanted to be able to rip the skeletons out of people because this was a sword and sorcery thing. And it seemed very, <laughs> appropriate i was like i was like okay that's fine let, let's <laughs> let let's let's figure let's figure let's put some restrictions around that let's let's put some some boundaries on that so that it's not just randomly ripping skeletons out of people as we go because that doesn't happen in the books right mm. like that's not very much fun um and it's not going to be you know not going to make for a good game experience uh, and that's the other thing that i tell my players i said look the the restrictions are what make it a fun game experience right otherwise yeah. otherwise you end up end up just being able to do whatever you like and it's not really going to have any staying power whatsoever mm. exactly that's why we roll dice instead of just telling a story yeah. right yeah yeah yeah, yeah. exactly it's a restriction right the i'm really interested in um the starting point as in a place and you know when you put your characters into your campaigns where do they actually start so as an example um in the odes campaign that i run the players spent a lot of time in lindo which is the sort of like their base city and i really wanted to experience the, the diversity of plot lines and NPCs and developing that um, interpersonal relationships with groups of people within Lindo. And they stayed there for quite a long time, many right. sessions before they went. Where, where would you be your perfect starting point in your campaigns? Um, as you say, a well-defined settlement. Um, yeah that is the place where you want to lavish detail initially in your world building you if if you want them to be able to discover plot seeds or, or storylines then you have to have a convincing way for that to happen mm. um, probably it should be better than video game style you know you walk into a shop and there's a question mark over the npc's head and, sure. you yeah. it <laughs> and get it delivered to you and yeah, there's this there's this great piece of advice. I don't remember where I first read it, but um, it's great. Is that uh, show them, don't tell them. Yeah. Like, you no. Know, if you want people to know that there's some kind of you know uh, religious persecution going on, show them somebody being run down in the street and exactly. Yeah. Or yeah. you know. Yeah. Show them uh, uh, defeated soldiers coming down the road looking for a place to sleep and food to eat. 
And then that's how they get turned on to that storyline that's going on to the north, right? Um, Very much so. Yeah, yeah, you have to. And so, so I mean, really, that this is about the the care the character scope of perception, right? Like they can't perceive much bigger than a small community to start with, right? Like they they can't perceive all of right. New York in a shot, mm -hmm. right? Like they can't conceive of the United States unless you you know as an as an entirety, unless you are really playing a different sort of game. I think Laws mentioned like they played Living Planets one time. And I'm like, well, I mean, what perception does that's a living planet? <laughs> right, right. Like they're like, oh, we use Mythos for that. And I'm like, well, that's quite that's quite the statement. But but you know, like it's 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 really about the scope of their perception yeah. of of what they of what they're doing. So so a small a smaller sediment works like that, you know, Port Grimsend and and uh, Monster Island is a really good side for that. Um, I will do a counter to this. Um, and say that that my my most recent classic fantasy game, the war the war based one, it started in a small community that promptly got raised, uh, and it, like like it was pretty much immediate you know in in re, media res in res media res yeah. what, in media what res yes. yeah there we go, and and they 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 arrive in the town they, it gets they like go they go out to to do something and they see the army and the army is coming the army is two days out and, and don't tell them <laughs> right and so so the so they they come back they try to prep the town they they evacuate the refugees and they go and the ne the next place up the road where the refugees go to is this the the actual small community that's more oh, like the yeah. main right yeah. but but the entire region ends up being the the play the sandbox that they kind of play in so you, you i mean you do have to constrain it quite a bit by the scope of their perceptions and the scope of their travel ability um compare that to something like uh you know like say like take indiana jones the raiders of the lost ark what's the scope of that right like it yeah peripatetic yeah right right it kind of goes all over the world and each one of those episodes has their particular scope right, right. um so but so just constrain it to the pc's perception yeah i really like that idea and that i found that starting off in a city um really inspired me to write the next adventure as the players explored the city yeah. you know and when they suddenly went into the slums that was time then for me to really start to flesh out that that area it's been absolutely fantastic chatting to you both uh, we've we've been talking for 40 minutes now so i i think okay. we're yeah <laughs> we we need to sort of like round it up a bit and but hopefully you will both come back again and we can talk about um other elements of the campaign that you create maybe to do with organizations or you know um religious sites etc but just before you both go what would be your top tips to any person who's in that role of GM either they volunteered for it or they've been elected and they're starting off a campaign what would be your top tips for them um go ahead man listen to your players so that you uh this is something that I meant to say earlier but um it's fine uh if as as Ian said, if if someone wants to play a mystic, 
it's it's your responsibility as GM to you know know at least the basics of what that mystic order is going to be like. Yeah. So that game mechanically, you know the creative constraints that are in play. Well, you can't at at starting level, starting stage in the in the Brotherhood, you can't rip someone's skeleton out by force of will. But maybe that's something you could build up to if you rose three. Yeah. Nine. Very nice. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's your responsibility as GM to be able to answer at least in a satisfactory way, those kinds of questions. And by the way, why not get the player involved and help you write those details? And then you're pretty much guaranteed. Um, and there's something else uh, when you're helping the players create their characters, uh, you know, get your short descriptions, get your long descriptions, then start rolling dice, know what the character is yeah. about before you start actually building the character mechanically. And, you know, if you play two sessions and things go uh, weird, uh, reserve the right to retcon things and say, oh, his passion really should have been this. Or, yeah. you know, you're playing him much more like his int is 16, not 12. Yeah. Stuff like that. You can you can fix those small things like that backwards if you need. Don't be afraid to do that. In no. terms of In terms of campaign, yeah, be sure that the player facing portions are in place and show them, don't tell them. Mm. And showing them what's going on means understanding what's going on, not just in terms of the plot, but in terms of the setting. Yeah. And so you have to have those details in mind at some level, even if you don't write them all down, your comfort zone has to be such that you'll be able to answer questions. That's my tips. Nice. And I, I will, I will, I will add on just a couple of others. I agree with pretty much everything that Matt said on that. Um, so, so I, I take my role as a GM seriously, and and so I, I, I recommend other people do at least take the time to to self evaluate what they're doing. Mm -hmm. If you expect your players to be good players, um, also be a good GM, GM, right? Like, go, what's good for the goose is good for the gander. There, sure. um, I when when built when building your world uh, and building the the area, uh, feel free to just use a, a big brush and just paint an area in one color and right. then li and then leave it blank past mm -hmm. that right like you have a theme this is this this is the this is the slums mm -hmm. that's it that's all you have to say about that because right. if you that's tell people shorthand. that's mm -hmm. a lot of shorthand right, right. uh that that should that should give your give your players a, pr a pretty good idea of, of what's going on there and then and then spend spend some time defining what what some central conflicts are going to be right like if it's going to be an episodic game then have have a couple of quick you know conflicts what they're going to be like you know this is going to be this is going to be a, a, a breaking into a building or this is going to be helping an orphanage or this is going to be you know a dungeon run against orcs you know those should be pretty pretty tight mm -hmm. like much tighter than you would think that they would be um if you go and take a look at any of these one-shot adventures they're tight like they are yeah. you know they three to be. five three to five encounters and that doesn't mean combat that means things that happen mm. uh, yeah, right. those are my big ones. Fantastic. That could, even, that could even be, um, you know, conflict. If you're going to integrate it with the setting, it could also not just be plot, but it could be thematically conflict, yeah. you know, the drama. Mm -hmm. you, you can establish that very early on in the game too. You know, is this going to be about, you know, good versus evil or uncovering mysteries that were better left mm -hmm. unknown and things that, you know, those are the kinds of things in terms of setting 
that a GM should probably have in mind. You know, what is this game about? What do I want people to think about and maybe even like learn about through mm-hmm. role playing? Right. You know, I don't, I don't, I don't pretend that RPGs have to be some big didactic thing, but it's really surprising the stuff that drops out of a game sometimes. Yeah. People really begin to think differently if everything's really going right, right? Mm-hmm. They're like, oh my God, this character really would never do that because mm-hmm. they hate so-and-so or mm-hmm. or whatever, mm-hmm. right? That kind of thinking. Very much so. Thank you so much to both of you. I've learned so much just sat here listening to your expertise, and it's certainly given me a lot to think about and a lot of things that I will change my mindset or my focus um, a little bit when I'm making the next campaign world. I really do like that idea of painting in those big strokes and then coming back to it um, if and when you need to and letting the players have you know co-create those areas thank you so much for coming on the podcast it's been fantastic talking to you and yeah hope to see you both here again soon thank you very much thank you very much i learned so much listening to the discussion between doug and matt We will definitely have them back on in the future to see how they tackle other aspects of a campaign world. And remember, if you have any topics that you would like us to cover or if you would like to contribute to the podcast, then why not just drop me an email or message and let me know what you would like to cover. I'm always looking for reviews or interviews slash chats with people so if you are interested you can email me at inwills at gmail.com or message me on the various forums and in the discord so before we all head off what was our solutions to playing when we didn't have a full group of people for our usual game Well, we are going to embark on a campaign based on the Mithras rules for superheroes. Yes, we are going to play Destined. Now, I have already started to create my own campaign world for the game using many of the tips that our experts provided. And we will be creating characters in the next available session. We felt that a superhero game really allowed for characters or players to be present or absent. They could always be called away or be investigating another plot line. Also, because the characters are supers, combat should be easily adapted for one to three heroes. We are really looking forward to playing the campaign once I've created the basics, taking a minimalist approach, thanks to Matt. And it gives us an opportunity to wear our lycra on stream. Only joking. (laughs) I could imagine the shocked looks on your faces as you heard that. If you have any solutions for when people are busy with real life, when your game is scheduled to be played and how you overcome this, then please do let me know. And that's it. Another episode of Mithras Matters completed. 
Don't forget you can check out all my content by following my YouTube channel and the campaign areas on World Anvil. I really appreciate your support and do check out the Tapper Talk forums and the Discord where there are some great people there sharing their ideas within discussions. So, and until next time, have a great month of gaming and I will chat to you all again in November when Loz and Brian will be joining us to talk about making submissions for publication to the design mechanism. It will be a great episode. Until then, I hope all your opposed roles succeed and provide you with a well-deserved special. Thanks for listening, everyone. See ya. Bye. The content of this podcast is covered by the Creative Commons Attribution 3.0 license. So please give appropriate credit if you are sharing or copying any part of this podcast. Thank you.